It's peculiar. Yes, and yet wondrously provocative. A cultural event of apocalyptic significance. It's almost as if... It may disturb you. It may even shock you. Just leave me alone. Oh, God. What the hell are you? What do you think? <laughs> are you a brother or a sister? Well, I'm an only child. Don't you love uh, how everyone on the internet makes fun of everyone with a podcast and we have one? And we have one. Well, I also make fun of people with podcasts, and it's because I've done the work. Yes. Yeah. <laughs> right. They're picking up the bodies on TV. When I caught a reflection of you and me. Staring back at us while frozen on the screen. Crack the white noise and pretend that we're asleep. We're asleep. Dream, 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 dream. What's up, everybody? Welcome to Probably Should Have Known Better, a podcast that celebrates comedy that is aged very poorly. And today is no different. <laughs> Because if anything, it's one of the worst movies we have watched throughout the entirety of our show, which spans four seasons. Feel free to listen. But I'm Nadia Vasquez. I'm I'm one of your hosts. And I am, as always, joined by the amazing, hilarious, kind of dark, uh, very funny, Tony Ginocchio. Well, that's very kind, Nadia. And I would agree with you. I would say what we're dealing with here, uh, I have I have it described in my notes as a, a punishing 77 minutes uh, <laughs> of film. Uh, truly, uh, I, I don't know if it's the all-time worst, but it's definitely an endurance test. Yes. Which, what do you think is worse? It's Pat or The Mask? Uh, that's a real good question. Um, I would say, I, th- I think, I think it's Pat is the worst yeah. of the two. And, and that is our selection today, folks. Uh, we are talking about, uh, <laughs> it's Pat. This season, we are doing all of the films based on Saturday Night Live sketches. We knew this was on the list, and we decided to do that for our season's theme anyway. Um, The 1994 film It's Pat, directed by Adam Bernstein, based on a character created by Julie Sweeney. Um, Starring Sweeney, Dave Foley, Kathy Griffin, of all people, uh, Charles Rocket, and, of course, as themselves, in the role of a lifetime, Ween. And so... (laughs) That was fun. That was a fun surprise. Uh, so I don't even know uh, where or how to begin, Nadia, other than to say I remember you telling me this was a movie you watched all the time growing up. I did. I It was on a lot. It was one of those movies, like, kind of like Hitch, where it's just on. And so you, you just watch it. I don't think I've watched it all the way through from start to finish. It's, again, one of those movies that it's on. You watch it from the middle to when you have to leave to go to the actual movies. <laughs> it's one of those. And so, um, yeah, I did not like it. <laughs> I did not uh, well, like it. Why don't you um, Why don't you step us through kind of the concept 
of this film and uh just i think a lot of our listeners might not be familiar with the it's pat uh sketch i don't know how many it's pat heads we have to listen to the show <laughs> i'm so sorry um, to the it's pat heads if you actually love it's pat so it's pat was a uh, or pat pat riley is a character created by julia sweeney on snl uh the first ever sketch that pat debuted on was on december 1st in 1990 which was season 16 episode 7 which was john goodman hosting and uh julia sweeney based this character off of a person that she had worked with who had uh the mannerisms of pat but because julia sweeney is a woman and was in drag Everyone was laughing more at the fact that she couldn't, quote unquote, pass as a man. And that became the joke of this character. So Pat is this androgynous person, uh, kind of plump, wearing khaki pants and like a cowboy shirt and a, and a short Afro wig and uh, kind of like Ray-Ban glasses. And no one knows whether Pat is female or male. And so Julia Sweeney was like, since I couldn't pass as a man, we're going to make the whole premise of this sketch about how nobody can figure out if Pat is a man or a woman. And that is it. And for some reason, people liked it. <laughs> and so like, so these sketch, like these sketches, you have Pat say a thing that you think gives away what Pat's gender is. Right. Uh, like, oh, I have terrible cramps today. And all of Pat's co-workers would be like, oh, does that mean Pat's a woman? And then Pat would be like, from riding my bicycle for so long. And that, like, yeah. is like, oh, we still don't know. Right. Um, so if you go on NBC.com, they do have a lot of the It's Pat sketches up. Not a whole lot of them on YouTube. I did find one where Kirstie Alley, friend of the podcast, uh... <laughs> Level 7 Operating Fate and Kirstie Alley, please use the full title. Sorry, sorry. Uh, where she plays Pat's parent. We don't know whether it was <laughs> Pat's mother or father. And there were there were whole jokes about how uh, Kirstie Alley couldn't, um, had to be like the mother and the father. Nobody at this event that this person was at, like knew what, who, everyone was trying to figure it out. So the, Julia Sweeney says... And I've read a lot of interviews about this because I really did a huge deep dive on this character. Julia Sweeney says that it wasn't about making fun of androgynous people. It was about making fun of the fact that people were obsessed with figuring out whether Pat was a female or a male. And uh, for comedy's sake, you might be thinking, well, surely that can't support a full feature film mm -hmm. uh and you'd be correct but they made one anyway and we watched it um, <laughs> and it, pat is a character that was actually number 17 of the 30 best snl characters by paste magazine in 2012 they did a whole countdown people loved pat and uh, i would say the movie is 77 minutes, like I said, and there were two different points where I checked to see how much time was left. I know, and it was like 45 minutes. <laughs> um, and, and so, so like, like Nadia was saying, you have this character, Pat, and in the movie, uh, Pat is living in Los Angeles 
uh, and uh, gets fired from Pat's job as a... I don't... Like, Pat also never clarifies what pronouns Pat would prefer, and I'm probably going to use she most of the time because Pat is played by a woman. Um, but... You uh, could use they. I'll use they. Okay. Uh, if you'd <laughs> see like. See how easy that was? See, how, see easy? how easy it is to adjust, folks? That's all it takes. <laughs> like, it's not complicated. Um, <laughs> we'll get into that in a little bit. They, so, anyways, Pat loses their job uh, as a postal worker and uh, basically spends uh, the rest of the 77 minutes of the movie trying to find a job. The issue is that uh, Pat is such an abrasive and grating personality. Mm-hmm. <laughs> that nobody wants to be around them at all except uh pat does eventually meet and fall in love with chris played by dave foley and the joke of course is that chris is also extremely androgynous uh and so nobody around them can figure out uh what gender either of them are uh i love that a uh, lord farquaad haircut is androgynous (laughs) yes (laughs) for chris i think that's very funny and so uh, Pat's neighbor, uh, played by Charles Rocket, and the character's name is Kyle. Of course. Um, begins to uh, lose his mind completely. Uh, try Just become unhinged, trying to figure out what Pat's gender is. Uh, steals Pat's laptop, uh, dresses as Pat, builds a tiny Pat puppet and talks to it. Um, just it just uh, approaches psychosis. Um, and uh, tries to corner Pat and figure out what their gender is uh, unsuccessfully. Pat eventually finds success as a radio host uh, because uh, the writers for SNL movies can only name, like, three different jobs. Because <laughs> yeah. we just had the ladies' man who was a radio host, and now Pat's a radio host, and I think that... Uh, yeah. yeah, finds a successful job as a radio host and a performer with the band Ween, uh, which was an actual band in 1994, a year which had a lot of good music that I like, and I had to look up if Ween was a real band. <laughs> and they are. I did too. <laughs> yeah, they are a real band. Uh, this is uh, not only the least successful uh, SNL film box office-wise, but also a notorious uh, flop in the history of comedy filmmaking, mm-hmm. um, they kind of realized, uh, they being the, the studio, kind of realized too far down the path that this movie was really, really bad. Uh, so it only opened in 33 theaters in its oh, first week. wow. Grossing a total of $60,822, which is $1,843 per theater, which is, assuming the inflation-adjusted rate of $6.46 per ticket, per theater, less than 300 people saw this in a week. Oh, jeez. Uh, and in the three cities in which it opened, less than 10,000 people saw it. Uh, as a result, uh, the movie was pulled from theaters after its first week, uh, which doesn't usually happen um, no. a lot. Uh, this is, as I said, the worst performing SNL film of all time. It was nominated for five Razzie Awards, if you remember those. Yeah. The Golden Raspberry Awards. But it didn't win any of them because this happened to be the same year that Showgirls was nominated. And they, of course, swept. Oh, of course. Um, but um, this movie is bad. Yeah. Because, well, this movie is extremely dated because of its gender politics, right? Right. But, but 
even without that, the movie is extremely bad. Yeah. Because it is a character built around one joke, and part of that joke is the character is so unpleasant to be around <laughs> that you don't want to watch that character for 77 minutes. No, it's too long. It's too, This This should not have been a movie. But uh, at this time, it was around 1994 when this movie came out, SNL was in a decline itself. You could say that we're in its maybe third decline right now. I, I was about to say it is currently in a decline. It's currently in its, it's one of its declines. Um, but this was the second decline in the 20 seasons that it was on by this time. Uh, Lauren was convinced that he was going to get fired and that the show was going to get canceled. Basically the last uh, 94, 90, 93, 94, and 95. And in the end, uh, they ended up firing the majority of the cast, which included Adam Sandler, and uh, mm-hmm. had to kind of rebuild everything. The cast that they ended up rebuilding too wasn't super strong. Um, <laughs> it included Morwena Banks, Ellen Cleghorn, Chris mm-hmm. Elliott, which we all know from Schitt's Creek now, but uh, and also Abby Elliott's dad. She's also not good. Chris Farley was on at this season. Mm-hmm. Janine Garofalo, but she quit. In the middle of the season. I was about to say, yeah, she she was not on very long. Yes, uh, she said the writing was crappy and homophobic. Uh, Norm MacDonald was doing his first weekend update season at that time. We also had Michael McKean, Mark McKinney, Tim Meadows, uh, who was fired Mm -hmm. that year, but then rehired. Uh, And then Mike Myers was at his prime at this point because Wayne's World had come out and was a huge hit. So he ended up leaving in the middle of the season. Then we had Kevin Nealon, and then Adam Sandler got fired, and then David Spade was on there. The featured players were no better because they included Al Franken, Jay Moore, and Laura Keitlinger, who I don't know. Yeah, the Jay Moore year was uh, was rough. <laughs> yeah, but it was also Molly Shannon's first year. So okay. in a way, we got a little bit of a blessing. Um, but the, the, the hosts for that year were pretty stacked. Unfortunately, they didn't have a great cast to, to support these amazing hosts, which included Steve Martin, Marissa Tomei, John Travolta, Sarah Jessica Parker, Courtney Cox. Again, 94, Courtney Cox, mm-hmm. that was high, the yeah, height uh, of friends. Yeah. yeah. And uh, the musical guests included TLC, the Dave Matthews Band, Green Day, and the Beastie Boys. So nice. it, 94 it, green that's dookie era green day yeah so there you know there's a lot of like give and take in this season as far as like really great talent but also really bad talent and then isn't it appropriate that a movie like it's pat would come out <laughs> yeah god it's like they made Wayne's World, and they're like, we're going to make Coneheads, I think, was the film right after Wayne's World. And then they're like, well, it's Pad is the natural next place to go. Yeah. So I did a little bit of research on Julia Sweeney in general. I don't know much about Julia Sweeney. I don't consider her to be one of the, uh, I don't know, I don't want to say iconic female character or uh, players on SNL, but we don't really talk about her. She also wasn't on the all-female Uh, like everyone come back and be with Betty White episode. Um, So I wanted to kind of see what's the deal with Julia Sweeney. And uh, she says about this particular character that it's not something that she could do again. This isn't something that would be uh, welcomed by people. (laughs) She says that the joke is really on the people who can't stand that they don't know 
whether Pat is a female or a male. She says, quote, the character was inspired by this really annoying, drooly gross person. That part really has nothing to do with androgyny. That just happened to be that way. She says, I didn't know that much about the androgynous community. I definitely didn't think about androgynous people being upset by it. Clearly, Julia. She continues on to say, I knew about people who looked androgynous, but they were affecting the look. In my mind, Pat was androgynous absentmindedly. If Pat knew that people thought Pat was androgynous looking, Pat would be offended by that and immediately say what Pat was. That I think is like, and hold on, end quote. That I think is a little bit like shitty of her to say because she is Pat. You know, she's like making assumptions as if Pat is like a person that can speak for herself. Yeah. I think that that's a little like, um, I don't know. It seems a little crazy to me. (laughs) It just like none of the math adds up, right? Yeah. It's like, she's like, no, the joke is not that. Uh, you can't tell if Pat is a man or a woman. The joke is that Pat is awful to be around and terrible to watch. You know how you love characters that are awful and terrible to watch and just really annoying? You yeah. know how you like sitting in a theater and watching those characters? Yeah. Totally. I uh, I, I love paying I, for those movies. And I believe, yeah, pressing rent on this one was tough. Uh, and I believe <laughs> she... She, uh, refer- like, she said in an interview once, she, like, she didn't want to be, like, the Al Jolson of androgyny, Al Jolson being a reference to uh, a blackface performance. Right. Um, so, just a lot of, I don't know. Yeah. Man, Julia Sweeney. They asked it, her to, apo- like, yeah. are you going to apologize for this character? Because this, you know, has come up um, in a lot of media, uh, in particular, the show, what is this show called? Hold on. Oh, it, there's, there's a Showtime show called Work in Progress where the, the lead actor uh, basically confronts Julia Sweeney about and this character and how they themselves are an androgynous person. And they're just like, you ruined my life. And the, it, it, it plays well in the show. But people are asking Julia Sweeney, like, would you apologize for this? And her response is, quote, I'm obviously still struggling with it. I don't want to automatically offer an apology without really feeling like I did something wrong. And I'm not sure that I did something wrong. But I also acknowledge that there was a byproduct of what I did that made a certain group of people feel bad. Yeah, that's... uh... I appreciate her commitment to preserving the integrity of the Pat character, <laughs> but but that's not a good take. Yeah, yeah. She says, quote, I think I was unenlightened in a lot of ways. I was naive in a lot of ways, but I also thought it was a funny character and I had a lot of fun doing it. And when I wrote the Pat jokes, I was concentrating on laughing at the people who are uncomfortable around Pat. Well, the like... This movie, none of this movie works. No. <laughs> the close, the closest this movie gets to working is when it focuses on Kyle, I think. Yes. And then it um, becomes kind of a thriller. Yes. Then, yes. <laughs> then it's an erotic thriller. <laughs> um, yeah. But, uh, but I, I agree that that is the correct approach to take uh, with this character uh, if you have to take an approach with this character, which I would argue you don't. Right. Um, but the but... the weird part is, is that when she continues on, on this, in this particular interview, I think she was interviewed for NPR, okay? Mm. Ugh, and I have problems with NPR. Well, she, and she, she was a, um, 
she was a, a contributor to NPR for, for a couple of their shows. I, I have that later in the show. Okay, great. So yeah. she goes on in this interview to say, quote, I don't like women who wear a ton of makeup and put their breasts on display. And I struggle with that, even with people in the trans community who are doing that. It ref- oh, boy. Yep, it reflects a patriarchy and the stratification of our society and all kinds of stuff about our society that I don't like. And I was like, who are you to make that, that choice? Was that in response to a question, or did she just, like, kind of keep going after the interviewer was like, okay, well, that should clear everything up? It was, she was going off about people who were androgynous and how there are too many extremes. So she says that there's the extreme of girls being too girly and men being too manly, and she was trying to find this place in between. But to say things like, I don't like when women wear a lot of makeup and show their breasts. It's like, that's not your choice. Yeah. Fuck off. <laughs> yeah. So I'm like not a big fan of Julia's weenie. Okay. <laughs> but I, so that took me into this whole other research land, just about gender in general. And I think mm-hmm. it was, it's important for our pod, though we are a comedy podcast and talk about comedy movies, the ideas around comedy and like why it's made it's important to know where it all came from and this particular movie is just so focused on gender and trying to the the whole conflict is we can't figure it out and i think it's so fucked yes it is yeah so i did a little bit of research here on pronouns and just gender expression in general so the first use of they them pronouns which is something that for some reason now is very difficult for people to swallow and adjust, was actually not new at all. The first Mm -hmm. singular use of they was in uh, Chaucer's The Canterbury Tales in 1386, and it Mm -hmm. was also a part of Hamlet in 1599. So it's been part of everything for a really long time. But uh, in the 18th century, that's when in writing and like um, scientific research and just... uh, philosophical writing people were using the term he to include all of mankind so there was a shift from there but so the whole idea of gender isn't real so the american psychological association defines sex as a person's biological status typically characterized as male female or intersex and intersex plays a really big part in this um, because gender i the term gender identity and gender roles was actually created by a man named john money his real literal name is john money (laughs) but gender identity is defined as a person's deeply felt inherent sense of being a boy a man or a male a girl a woman or a female or an alternative gender which is includes uh, gender queer gender non-conforming etc And it might not correspond to a person's sex assigned at birth or to a person's primary or secondary sex characteristics. It's gender identity is all internal. It's a person's identity not necessarily visible to others. Mm -hmm. So there are a lot of gender nonconforming and trans activists at the forefront of like telling the truth of all of this. I'm partial to someone named Alok Vaidmanan. They're a gender nonconforming writer and performance artist, and they have a really great Instagram. Look them up. But basically in the 1970s, this isn't even that long ago, feminists in the U.S. began to use the term gender as a way to kind of dislodge 
male supremacy and patriarchy. So they separated gender from sex to allow women to argue that discrimination against women was not prescribed by biology, but was established by social conditions. Mm-hmm. Because scientifically speaking, there is no there's no evidence scientifically speaking that brains are inherently sex differentiated we just live in a society yeah we live in a goddamn yeah and our brains are developing in interaction with the influence around us in our external world and then they develop and change so that we can basically survive in the social construct so people who are like arguing that it's yeah, this is the way that everybody's brain works. It's like, yeah, it's because we needed to adjust the way that we thought to survive. Yeah. It's pretty wild. And in uh, the the Dr. Gil Peterson is a um, someone who went and did some research on where this all kind of came from. And it's actually related to the United States participating in eugenics because mm-hmm. doctors wanted to justify performing surgeries on intersex children. So John Money in 1955 coined the term gender role and gender identity when researching intersex children to kind of create this objectivity so that doctors could operate on these children so that they could live in the binary of male or female. And it's all based on race and racism. It's so sad because back in the day, scientists believed that white people were superior because you could, quote unquote, tell who was a man and who was a woman. But oh, that's good. That's yeah, something fun everyone can enjoy. Right. But black, indigenous, and other people of color were regarded as sex indistinguishable. So they wanted to have this kind of binary so that, uh, like, if some, if some kid was born intersex, a white child would get an operation to be one way or the other but for black children they would actually put them into psychiatric facilities and would not quote-unquote correct them so these poor children were just like thrown in these things even though they were asking for help it was like really really sad it's all super racist and horrible and uh in the end gender isn't even real like the binary that we exist in it's all made up and uh dr anne fausto sterling says labeling someone a man or a woman is a social decision we may use scientific knowledge to help us make the decision but only our beliefs about gender not science defines our sex it is a political choice not a biological truth so it's like as much as julia sweeney wanted to make this really quote-unquote funny movie that we can't tell that this person is either or it's this is so fucked (laughs) yeah like the androgyny and like the jokes it's all really messed up it obviously does a lot um but also like julia sweeney's defense of like well the joke is that these people are obsessed with pat i'm like well i don't know if that's especially funny yeah uh, as much as it is disturbing yeah and just to know like the history of it it really makes it not funny at all (laughs) and i question just like lauren michaels and being like you know this is a really good sketch let's get it on the air multiple times and then he's like oh you know what we should also make it a movie yeah it's like there's just so much behind it but i again like white people don't know (laughs) yeah there there's there's like 
there are three funny lines in this movie. One of them is like, so Kathy Griffin plays Pat's neighbor. Yeah. And Pat like walks into her apartment at one point while Kathy Griffin's in it wearing a towel, right? She just got out of the shower and she's like, Pat, come on, I'm in a towel. And then she's like, should I, should I be embarrassed? Yeah. Um, That one made me laugh because it's just like, this is the stupid game that we're playing and we're just bringing it all out in the open. Right. Um, Right. And also the fact that Pat has no idea that people freak are freaking out about it is just like so unaware it doesn't, it, it's not grounded in reality enough to be funny. No, no. and and again, if if we are taking Julia Sweeney at her word, um, she's like, no, the joke is that Pat is terrible to be around. And, you know, again, Pat is bursting into Kathy Griffin's apartment and Pat says, hey, it turns out my key works in your apartment too. Isn't that nice? Like, that's kind of a funny line, but that's not a 77 minute movie. <laughs> it's not. It kind of, it. It's disturbing in a lot of ways and not in in a way that I feel like a conservative person would approach this being disturbing of like, well, we don't really know. It's it's more of just like, there was no empathy here. There was no like, there was no foresight at all. Remember, so Wayne and Garth (laughs) are caring, good people who are best friends and they learn to care about other people in their lives. Right. More, right? Right. The ladies' man, Leon, Tim Meadows, um, again, we just talked about this, not a great written character, but the idea being that he cares about Julie and um, and at least has a talent. Uh, like, you know, he's good at fucking. Uh, so there's that. <laughs> exactly. Um, Pat has nothing. No! Pat has nothing. Pat has nothing. It is the thinnest character we probably have had on the show. I, I think so. Um, and so I just... I mean, I feel like we shouldn't even go like super deep dive I, into yeah, the movie. I don't movie. even want to because it's going to make me miserable. But let me just run through a couple lines here. Okay. Um, okay, so let's see. Uh, uh, so Pat goes to the store, right? The convenience store. Right, right, right. Pat's like... I need some protection. And the clerk is like, oh boy. And then Pat's like, from underarm wetness and grabs a deodorant stick. Yes. And I need a lubricant. And the clerk's like, oh boy. And Pat's like, for my eyes, they're drying out. And Pat grabs some Visine. <laughs> and I need some feminine napkins. And then she just grabs like like nap- like napkins, like with a flowery print on uh-huh. it, like paper napkins. You never know when Aunt Wilma's going to stop by for lunch. So that's, I think, a pretty good microcosm of, like, yeah. what the only joke is. Yeah. There also is this running theme that if you're in your early 30s and you haven't figured out what you want to do with your life, you're a loser. Yeah, which I do not appreciate. I did not appreciate that at all. I got really upset. I had to pause the movie. <laughs> had to think about my life for a minute. And I was like, I'm sitting here watching a shitty movie for a podcast I do with my bestie. <laughs> I feel good about that. Uh, yeah. Oh, also, there's one point where Pat falls down the stairs and Pat's like, I crushed my nuts. And then Pat pulls out a, a bag of like walnuts and is like, there goes my afternoon snack. Um, but it, it's not funny. And, and, and there are montages that we see of Pat doing a bunch of different jobs 
yeah. like being a, a letter carrier, working at a sushi restaurant, being a security guard, and... Which is just, these are just sketches they pitched that didn't make it on the air. Right? Exactly! Like, yeah. There's no, there's really no plot until we get to New Neighbors. Yes. The New Neighbors... Kyle. Kyle and Stacy, they uh, just moved in across the hall. They can't figure out if Pat's a man or a woman. And Kyle, much like Javert in Les Miserables, uh, <laughs> after Jean Valjean forgives him and shatters his uh, ironclad sense of justice with uh, an act of mercy, Kyle, who apparently <laughs> is really invested in the gender binary, um, just completely cannot accept, like, is watching pat from across the courtyard being what a strange combination of attraction and repulsion such a sphinx-like riddle posed by the mere existence of pat uh thinks he sees pat peeing while standing so bursts into pat's apartment with a video camera because not only does he need to know pat's gender he needs video evidence to confirm it right um that pat of course is not peeing standing up pat is dumping a carton of orange juice into the toilet for right. some fucking reason this fucking movie because because it. he can't because pat can't um finish an entire gal or a tire carton of orange juice before it expires is the justification <sighs> anyways <laughs> also, also okay also oh, yeah, when ahead. so pat pat's the worst okay but for some reason, Pat finds a love interest. Yes. And the love interest is equally as androgynous. And when they get to know each other, everything is so vague. They, they say, do you love movies? Yes. You know what I especially love? Good movies. Me too. Because anything else is on the gender binary and would give it away. Right. Which, it, which is, which would be an interesting social comment, right? If you don't. I mean, and that's kind of, I think, what they're trying to get at with Kyle's character. If you don't know what someone's gender is and you, it, like, and you are heavily invested in that gender binary, um, you lose an entire set of social interactors right. with a person. Now, if you ever meet or talk to a transgender or non-binary person, you start to learn very quickly, oh, this is a person. Right. I can do this. <laughs> like, <laughs> right. They don't have conversations that go, hey, you want to know another thing I hate? Senseless evil. <laughs> like, I think it's just so interesting that this was the commentary they're trying to make, and it's just so thin. It, it's thin. It's, it's watery dated. like soup. <laughs> Uh, and so, uh, you know, uh, there's another, again, another same, same format of the joke. Chris and Pat are together and Chris says, I love to stroke your pussy, Pat. And Pat pulls a cat out and is like, thanks. Muffy likes it too. Like also yikes that the cat was named Muffy. Yeah. (laughs) Um, yeah. And then, uh, the neighbor Stacy sees Pat in the laundry room and is invited to, the uh engagement party because chris and pat end up getting engaged for some reason for some reason someone wants to marry pat and kyle says what was pat's laundry like (laughs) and stacy's like oh you know it had boxer shorts in there and bras you know because they're a couple they're doing chris's laundry too Yeah. yeah 
it's just so it's just not funny it's not again it's just there is one joke format they have which is we think we're going to reveal the gender but we're not right which Um, is the the structure of the sketches and it works for three minutes right but that's it and and you're like well does it do like the letterman thing where they hit the joke so many times that it becomes funny how many times they're hitting the joke and the answer is no no Uh, no not at all and so, uh, unfortunately, though, it doesn't get any better because these kinds of jokes continue at the uh, engagement party with the gifts that everybody gives them. Right. Which include his or her towels, which Pat says, now Chris will leave my towels alone. No information. No information. Uh, they give him uh, lingerie and they just say in unison, we're both gonna enjoy this. And like, audible groaning from the audience. <laughs> And then they do karaoke. And, you know, karaoke songs, just love songs in general, super gendered. But yes. they ended up doing Everybody Loves Somebody Sometimes. <laughs> and Dude Looks Like a Lady. Dude Looks Like a Lady. Uh, immortalized in the film uh, Mrs. Doubtfire. Exactly. Uh, but Everyone's this, just baffled. Baffled. But this is when we finally get to actual conflict, which is that Pat is insufferable. Yes. And Chris is starting to realize I might be with a narcissist, possibly. Yeah. Who has no self-awareness and I am being kind of pushed to the back burner of life. (laughs) So they break up, but at the same time we're seeing them break up, Kyle's obsession with Pat is beginning to destroy his marriage. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, there's a great parallel there. Yeah. An, an-, an androgyne has come be- has come between us. You're in love with Pat, aren't you? So now, in addition to watching a comedy that's not funny, I get to watch a marriage dissolve. <laughs> <laughs> and the the reasoning being that Kyle is in love with Pat doesn't make sense. No. Because there's no affection there. No. I don't think Julia Sweeney knows what love is. <laughs> I think there's a bigger issue. So... Uh... Kyle's next move is to, he took video of Pat singing karaoke and he's submitting it to a, god damn it, to a, to a fictional television program titled America's Creepiest People. Oh my god. Uh, presumably on Fox. And so, <laughs> <laughs> we all know what the Fox lineup was like in 1994. Yeah, yeah, and yeah, yeah, so, yeah, yeah. Uh, so, um tries to trap pat into revealing their gender it's like can you just sign the sex part of the release form which pat signs often which is <laughs> you know pat's little joke do you have do you have a photo of you in the nude i think the tv station requires it uh and pat does but it's from the back yeah uh, so there were two things that i noticed one was there the gag was kyle was kneeling while pat was standing and had his face right on pat's crotch and said, is that a banana? Are you happy to see me? Oh, yeah. And then Pat takes out a banana and it's like, yes, it's mine. Get your own snack. And the second thing is uh, Kyle asks for a birth certificate. And on the birth certificate, the place of birth is Middlesex, New Jersey. Yes. And I was like, this is too much. There are a couple um, sight gags in the background. So when, when Pat meets Ween for the first time, there's a billboard, uh, no, uh, Pat is in front of a window full of naked mannequins. Right. 
who don't have any genitals. Right. <laughs> and then there's another weird scene where she's outside, uh, or they are outside, and the um, the billboard in the background is for guess genes, and it just <laughs> says guess with a question mark, and yeah. that's it. Um, so there's a lot of sight gags, which I think are the attempt to be clever or, like, even Simpsons-esque. No. Um, and just add to the... Uh, gnawing sense of unease that everyone presumably felt while uh, watching this film. Question for you. Is the sight gag of uh, the car a gender statement, I guess? You're talking about Pat and Chris uh, drive a a used driver's ed car. Yes. They both have. Yeah, so uh, so Chris is steering wheel. Right. So Chris is driving and they're having a conversation and it's revealed that Pat also has a steering wheel. Because men drive cars, but women don't? Look, we're just going to come out and say it right now. My wife does most of the driving. (laughs) You know what's funny is I don't like to do any of the driving. Yeah, I don't either. That's why she does. She's also, I've uh, gotten the car in more accidents than she has. So I've basically lost some privileges. (laughs) See, but that's not based on your gender. That's just you're a shitty driver. Yes. (laughs) Yes. And that's Me not too. a construct, it's a fact. Me too, um, so it's fine. But uh, yeah, so Pat ends up being on the show America's Creepiest People, is telling everybody, I'm going to be on TV for like 10 minutes. Everybody's creeped yeah. out except for Chris. Chris is very proud that Pat's on yes. TV. And uh, this is when Kyle really starts to just lose his mind. Yeah, stays in his bedroom for three days at a time, um, begins dressing as Pat, uh and uh starts um trying to seduce pat uh, without knowing what their gender is yeah um, wants them it, to take off their pants uh puts uh, his uh puts pat's see, cuts out pat's face and puts it onto his uh wedding photo yeah. <sighs> that was where i checked how much time was left yeah. uh, for, the, for the first time but you know we have the b story which is that Pat needs to get a job, and the band yeah. Ween finds Ween, Pat on you know, the street. Ween. Yeah, finds Pat on the street and is like, "Hey, we want you to be in our music video. Why don't Why aren't you? Why don't you come along?" And for some reason, Pat plays the tuba <laughs> and is in the music video, but thinks that they want to hire them for. As a, guess, as a permanent member of the band. Yeah, but they don't. They're just like, no, it's part of the video. Also, we never get to see the video, <laughs> which is another thing. I'm like, you set all that up and there's no video. 1994, the best band they could book for this movie was Ween. <laughs> Not even like the Red Hot Chili Peppers. Imagine getting Blue Album era Weezer on this. <laughs> Do you think that they could have lived this down, though? No, that's the problem. They would have lost all their cred, I think. But imagine how how much it would have elevated the stature of its Pat. (laughs) Yeah, you know that movie that Weezer was in? Right, exactly. (laughs) Um, Unfortunately, the movie continues on. (laughs) And uh, Chris breaks up with Pat because Pat is being a dick. Yes. And um, is like super obsessed with with being famous and having a lot of money and being adored and chris is like i don't i don't want to be a part of this whole thing you're turning into a monster basically so i'm out of here and then pat just not only loses their partner but also gets their diary stolen which has 
their deepest, darkest secrets. Right. So it's a it's a laptop mm-hmm. basically, um, and uh, but like a 1994 laptop. So Kyle stole it. He doesn't know the password. Uh, Pat just told an insufferable joke where they were like, "I'll give you a hint. It's in the dictionary." So Kyle is going word for word through the dictionary, <laughs> trying to hack into the laptop. And then does, but it's the last word in it's, the dictionary. Zythum, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> uh, and by the time, but and we'll get to this later. By the time Kyle is at the Z's, he's he's uh, had a full psychotic break and has developed a tiny little pat puppet to do the typing for him. Have we laughed throughout? No. <laughs> no, I like I've said like oh a tiny pat puppet. I guess that's how you would heighten. Like you said that. <laughs> yeah, and um, then we get to the only people of color in the movie, which of course are some gangsters on the street. Who, yeah, this scene really didn't fucking work. <laughs> who wanted to know if Pat was a brother or a sister, and Pat said, "Well, I'm an only child." <sighs> Again, not even just like a if if Pat was like a likable person who was like genuinely very sweet and very helpful, maybe I could handle it. But Pat is just awful. Pat's just awful. Um, And then eventually they ask uh, Pat, are you a man or a woman? And Pat is devastated. Humiliated. Humiliated. Goes and runs to a salon and is like, I need to look like my own gender, but won't elaborate. I'm not going to specify what it is. Yes. And, you know, you think at the end of the movie we find out, but we don't. We don't. Because <laughs> it doesn't uh, matter. But Pat also... It doesn't. Uh, it's made up. Uh, Pat <laughs> Pat also finds a job, right? Um, yeah. Pat stops by the place where Kathy Griffin works. Uh, Kathy Griffin is a, uh, a, a radio host. Like I said, you can only think of two jobs uh, for <laughs> SNL. She has a relationship advice show. She's the ladies' man, basically. Yeah, <laughs> she's the ladies' man. Um, but anyways, uh, she like has to, I don't know why she leaves the room, but she goes to grab a cigarette or whatever, and Pat gets on the air, and Pat's blunt way of speaking ends up getting some traction with the listeners. And Kathy's producer, played by Tim Meadows. <laughs> the ladies' man himself. The ladies' man himself is like, we want to hire you and put you on the air. And Kathy Griffin's furious. Tim Meadows is like, look, at least Pat isn't putting people to sleep. And Kathy Griffin says, that's a slur against me. And look, <laughs> uh, that's not what a slur is. <laughs> and look, no. <laughs> but by this time, it, this is not even a movie. This is just... I'm checked out at this point. This is yeah. just a bunch of scenes put together. But then, you know, we come to the climactic moment, which is that Kyle corners yes. Pat at the Ween concert, of course, and wants... In a dramatic scene in a hall of mirrors, like it's the end of Enter the Dragon. Yeah, on Hollywood Boulevard, and is like, take off your clothes. I need to see. And Pat freaks out and runs out. They uh, run to the Ween concert for some reason and get caught on a hook of some kind. Clothes come off. Pants come Clothes off. Clothes get ripped off. Descends nude onto the stage above Ween. Yes, but we only see a butt. Yes. 
What an incredibly fucked scene. <laughs> it's so awful. And I, this is when I have to go back to Julia Sweeney's interview, where she's like, of course I'm upset that I created a character that made some people feel more victimized than they might otherwise have felt. Like, the, it's just so gross that the ending is Pat being naked and exposing the genitals that they have. And then people are like, cool. Now Cheer. we know. Yeah. Like, that's fucked. It's so fucked. It's so fucked up. This movie is <sighs> awful. <laughs> what are the other horrible movies that we've seen? Because I, I blocked uh, them out. I blocked them out. Uh, bringing Down the House is usually our high watermark for the worst movie we've ever seen. And I still think Bringing Down the House is worse than this. I don't. Okay. I, I think this one's worse. Uh, and famously, Shark Tale, I think, is among the worst, but... Uh, no, 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 Shark Tale rules, man. <laughs> that soundtrack slaps. Come on. <laughs> Anyways, it, it's unbelievably fun. Like, the idea that, like, the climactic scene is, like, uh, we're going to put this person in this humiliating position where they're going to be exposed to a massive crowd of people unwillingly. Right. Um, and it's funny because they're all going to figure out this person's gender, which is fake. By right, the way. it's fake. It's like, uh, it's just, it really, uh, that scene has just curdled so badly. It's so bad. Um, and then, you know, yeah. Pat gets a, gets a happy ending with Chris and they get married and yeah, all that whatever. stuff. Yeah, whatever. Who gives but a there, shit? But there is a tag at the end during the and, credits. Which is insane. 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 So Kathy Griffin has her job back as the, the love line type of ladies man role and answers yeah. a call from Kyle, the crazy stalker neighbor who ended up getting arrested at the end of the movie. And he calls in and says that he's a transvestite but is in in love and obsessed with someone named Pat. And then that's it. <laughs> you know how you know how that's really funny when someone um, is undergoing like horrible identity questions about their own gender? Yeah. So hilarious. Look, I think this one is worse than bringing down the house because there is no plot. There is no character. There is no, there's nothing. There's nothing. It's just like a bunch of stuff thrown at a wall. At least Bringing Down the House had some sort of story and Queen Latifah was good. Uh, I would say this movie is better than Bringing Down the House because it is 77 minutes. (laughs) Okay, that's totally fair. Um, I think that it is one of our worst for sure. Absolutely. Absolutely among the worst. Yes. And... Uh, I would say uh, did not uh, perhaps serve as an immediate springboard uh, to a broader film career for Julia Sweeney, uh. Uh, which brings us, of course, to our next segment. Good for them. <laughs> uh, so uh, today, Julia Sweeney lives in Chicago, the greatest city in the world. Uh <laughs> Uh, was a panelist on Chicago's greatest NPR program, Wait, Wait, Don't Tell Me, the NPR News Quiz. Mm -hmm. Uh, But she has also written and performed four very successful one-woman shows, Uh, the first of which was actually on Broadway. Um, Broadway? Yes, Broadway. So God Said Ha was uh, that first show, uh, which was on stage in 1996. She was diagnosed with cancer after Saturday Night Live, and her brother's death uh, was also in that period. Oh, sad. Uh, Also from cancer, so she turned that into a one-woman show in 1996. She went to Broadway. Uh, Quentin Tarantino actually produced the film version of the show because Julia Sweeney uh, knew him because she 
did a small acting role in Pulp Fiction, um, which is just nuts to be an actor and to be in Pulp Fiction and it's Pat in the <laughs> same year. Uh, really makes you think. It really makes you uh, think. She uh, had a second show uh, in 2003 uh, called In the Family Way, which was about adopting her ch- daughter from China. Uh, and that was performed with a full orchestra at the Hollywood Bowl at oh, one point. Oh, wow. Uh, the third show is called Letting Go of God, uh, which was about her being raised Catholic. And then, as all Catholics must do, uh, giving up on the idea of any sort of supreme deity or moral order to the universe. <laughs> and then, uh, her most recent show was in 2019. It was called Older and Wider. Uh, which was about getting old and being a housewife. She's heddle- settled happily into domestic life. Her husband is a scientist uh, in Chicago. She occasionally does voice acting work for animated series and NPR shows. She has published three nonfiction books, one SNL autobiography, one adaptation of the show God Said Ha, and then another book of essays. And you know what? I was going to say good for her, but having now heard her her thoughts on gender, I'm going to say bad. <laughs> bad for her. Yeah. yeah, overall, not a good movie. Not feeling very good about her take on gender. No, or any of the decisions I think we've made that uh, led to us watching this movie. Yeah, you know, I, there are other really good movies in the SNL repertoire, but this is not one of them. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, do our friends at commonsensemedia.org have any thoughts? No, this doesn't exist on Common Sense Media. <laughs> Nobody fucking watches this movie. Well, and, and we know that, right? Nobody watched it when it came out. Yeah. it's it, it, There is no search result for this movie on that website. <laughs> I, was, I was really surprised. Could, could God make a movie so bad that even Common Sense Media would ignore it? <laughs> I think this one's really bad. I I am bummed about Julia Sweeney's overall like take on it. Um, cause these cause these takes on it, she was doing like recently, like within the past five years. Yeah, 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 yeah. This is like two thousand eighteen, probably. Okay, okay. Yeah. So, so like after everyone has been like, oh yeah, gender is actually not uh, as rigid as we thought it was. Right, right. And to to that I say fuck off. (laughs) Um, I think just in general, like I said, there are a lot of people online who are very gracious and give a lot of information about uh, the gender binary and about trans life. There are a lot of people on YouTube and Instagram. Take a look, do your own research. This is only a small, very small portion of the things that I found, but ultimately it's very helpful in knowing that everything that we, all the systems that we live under are fake you know, money-wise, gender-wise, patriarchy, all, all this stuff isn't yeah. real. The stuff that is Absolutely. real is human connection and love, which is, like, ultimately the whole message of Harry Potter, but J.K. Rowling fucked that up. So Yeah, yeah. Uh, also, not great uh, views on gender, as no, it turns out. No, so, uh, you know, like, question everything. I think that if if my my imprint on the world, my footprint on Earth, if it's one thing that I could say that I could pass on is question everything nothing is real just have a nice time yeah <laughs> i would say uh the entire time you were saying that i was just imagining dumbledore going uh no spell can reawaken the dead harry or change someone's gender <laughs> <laughs> fucking uh, jk rowling 
<laughs> listen, also, that's another thing this, that we have to come to terms with is that a lot of our heroes are shit. <laughs> should, should never have been our heroes. Yeah. People are uh, just people. <laughs> thankfully, Julia Sweeney uh, was never in that position for me. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. But, uh, but I will say, you know... Um, Brutal. I'm glad I watched it because I had to know. Yeah. Uh, it, it is, you know, why you know widely known as one of the least commercially successful comedies ever made. Yeah. Um, and I kind of had to see what was behind that, and uh, it deserved it. It yeah, absolutely deserved absolutely. it. And I want to say that it's only uphill from here, but that's not true. Maybe. Because <laughs> we still have to watch Stuart Saves His Family. Yeah, we're going to have to do Stuart Saves His Family at some point. And probably The King of Staten Island. <laughs> so, 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 Some stuff to look forward to uh, later this season. <laughs> but overall, I appreciate hanging out with you, pal. I, I liked Absolutely. I liked learning the things that I learned this time. Didn't like the movie, but you know, I'm just grateful to be here. <laughs> we we have survived 100 percent of these podcast episodes. <laughs> <laughs> Thank you for listening. If you've made it this far, uh, yes. we love you. Please write us some reviews because if you do, we might base an entire season around your suggestion, like Matt Portman. <laughs> Like Matt Portman did. Uh, so thank you, as always. This episode, like all episodes, is dedicated to Matt Portman. Uh, and, uh, subscribe, leave reviews. Uh, probably should have Facebook, Twitter, Instagram. We'll see you next week. We love you. And when the sun turns to snow And the grass doesn't grow Summer